The Athletic. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Wednesday the 9th of August. I'm Michael Bailey and today we're asking... Why are Wolves changing manager just days before the new season? It's not one that's to do with results on the field or tactics. It's basically about money. How will Chelsea deal with their latest injury blow? I expect at least one signing to come in in the attacking position now. And what are Manchester United planning to do with their two West Ham transfer targets? I'm told that United value them at more than 40 million, so that seems like quite a big gap, actually. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Michael Bailey. It is almost two weeks since we at the Daily Football Briefing checked in on Wolverhampton Wanderers and how their current financial situation was undermining preparations for the new Premier League season. Well, last night matters came to a head as Wolves confirmed the departure of head coach Yulan Lopetegui. That will now be followed by confirmation former Bournemouth manager Gary O'Neill will replace the Spaniard as Wolves boss. All of this just five days before their top flight campaign begins at Manchester United. Let's bring you the familiar voice of Tim Spears who knows all about the goings on at Molyneux. Tim, what has happened at Wolves in the past fortnight that has led to Lopetegui's departure? So this, is, this has been building up for some time. Uh, this is not something that's that's come overnight. This has been building up pretty much since he was appointed, really. Um, it's an unusual departure in that it's not one that's to do with results on the field or tactics or philosophy or man management. It's basically about money, i.e. transfers, how much Lopetegui's had to spend, and power, really. He wanted money to spend to revamp the squad. He didn't get it because Wolves are in financial trouble. He was then publicly critical of the club, he said they didn't make the financial position, you know, clear to him. And when it became obvious, you know, fairly recently that he really wasn't going to get any of the players he wanted and he couldn't get the squad up to his standards and ambitions for the coming season for him. And then for Wolves, it's been about exiting on the right terms and saving face and then ultimately getting a good financial deal too because Lopetegui was not going to walk away from a very lucrative contract. It's a mess. However, the, again, unusually, he has still been working at the club knowing that he's going to leave for a little while now while they've found his successor. I mean, it does seem a shame that it's ended like this because he, Lopetegui did a great job of keeping Wolves in the Premier League last season. They do have his replacement already lined up though. So why Gary O'Neill? I would guess first thing he'd say, oh, with the greatest of respect to Gary O'Neill, there won't be an abundance of managers available at this time of year. I suspect, soon as he is the man, that they wanted Premier League experience. And by all accounts, he's an excellent coach and has a very sort of calm, you know, concise demeanour that players really like. And he was very popular at Bournemouth with the players. I'm sure that they were sad to see him go. He did a fantastic job there, but the name isn't going to get fans excited. You know, they've gone from a former Spain, Real Madrid and Sevilla manager who won the Europa League to a guy who was sacked by Bournemouth in June. So he'll have to win the respect of the fans. He'll have to win the respect of the players too, more importantly. You know, they're all internationals. A lot of them have swapped Champions League football to come to Wolves with the idea that they'll be challenging at least for the top 10 of the Premier League and challenging for Europe, things which Gary O'Neill has not done in his career. So in a few ways, it's a big risk for sure. Um, so finally, Tim, and I think you've touched on some of the themes there, but new managers always have an in-tray. So what will the one awaiting O'Neill look like? Man United away on Monday. 
no problems there. This uh, this is a, a club in disarray, really, with you know the financial shortfall that we've spoken previously about on this show that they've had to make up this summer. It's a re- it's a new era. I mean, you know, the list of names that have left Wolves this summer: Ruben Neves, Martinho, Cody, Jimenez, Traore, all very familiar names. So uh, it's a big job on his hands. He's got to inspire a squad that won't know what on earth is going on. However, you know, there is a good team there. They've had a really good pre-season. They beat Wren, they beat Porto. Lopetegui did well with them last year. They have some exceptionally gifted and talented players. Mateus Nunes, Pedro Neto, Mateus Cunha, to name a few. But to bring it all together uh, with five days or six days left before they start their season with no money to spend and no pre-season to work with the players, all I can say is good luck. A tricky summer for Wolves then, and things have been far from straightforward at Chelsea too. It has been a summer punctuated by injury issues, which were headlined in July with the loss of young centre-back Wesley Fofana to ACL reconstruction surgery. Now, the West London club has confirmed that 25-year-old Christopher Nkunku has also had knee surgery, and the former RB Leipzig forward will be sidelined for at least four months. The transfer window is open for the rest of August, but with the Premier League season kicking off at the weekend, it is a far from ideal situation for their new head coach, Maurizio Pochettino. Simon Johnson covers Chelsea for the Athletic. Simon, how big a blow is Nkunku's injury for Pochettino? It's, it's absolutely huge. Nkunku has, has looked very... Um, he settled in straight away, looked good in pre-season, scoring goals in pre-season a good combination with um, Nicholas Jackson was developing and suddenly Chelsea's attack looks a little bit light. You sort of think, well, beyond Nicholas Jackson, um, who's going to get the goals? Amanda Breuer has, has not kicked the football in a competitive game since December. Yeah, there's players around that can, that can fit in. It's an opportunity for Mudrick, but um, no, this is a sizable blow. This was going to be one of Chelsea's key players, someone they signed well in advance to play a big part in this season and now he's not going to be around for for at least four months by the looks of things. And this isn't the first time I've spoken to you about long-term Chelsea injuries this summer either. How is that being analysed behind the scenes at the club? Injured FC, I think they should be recalled. Yeah, there's obviously disappointment. I mean, the moment that you that you saw the pitch they played on, there, there, were, there were alarms, although Chelsea were, were very keen to stress, or certainly Pochettino afterwards didn't blame it on the pitch. It was an unfortunate contact with Mats Hummels onto his knee. These things happen in football. I think it may be the same knee that he's injured before. But inevitably, there is frustration uh, among Chelsea supporters that Chelsea seem to consistently pick up these injuries. That There has been a lot of changes in the medical department since the takeover. But this just seems to be a really unfortunate incident that um, that happened in a challenge. And, and then Kunku, unfortunately, came off uh, worse off. And, and now Chelsea have to look to perhaps Mudrik to... To, uh, to show why they spent so much money on him. Indeed, you've mentioned the classic silver lining, that there are opportunities for others, and Mudrick will certainly hope that he's one of them. Are there other opportunities that, that Chelsea will look towards as well? And also, I do find myself that, you know, I spoke to you last time about Romelu Lukaku, so I've got to ask you again. I mean, could he be the one to step forward? What a story that would be, but um, I, I I can't see it. I think both sides still their motivation is to to separate as soon as possible. Um, although time is is running out in that regard, and and Chelsea are looking in the market anyway. They they were looking to to buy at least one attacking player. Maybe it'll go up to two now, but I expect at least one signing to come in um, in the attacking position now. 
You can hear from Simon on our dedicated Chelsea podcast straight out of Cobham, while Simon also spoke more about Romelu Lukaku's future on the Athletic Football podcast. Both of those are available wherever you find your podcasts. You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. You may remember that in yesterday's briefing, we heard about the reasons that have hampered West Ham's transfer activity this summer. Well, in a move that may look like making up for lost time, they have since put in a £60 million joint bid, that's more than $76 million, for former Manchester United captain Harry Maguire and their Scotland midfielder Scott McTominay. Cries of take the money appeared from many a United fan on social media, but so far the club's response has been to reject West Ham's bid for McTominay and continue negotiations over the £30 million portion on offer for Maguire. Laurie Whitwell is the Athletics Manchester United expert. Laurie, let's start with McTominay. Why have they rejected that part of West Ham's bid? Because they value McTominay uh, higher than £30 million. I mean, a lot of people would look at it and go, 26 years old, he's not going to be a first-team regular for Ten Hag. He's probably more of a squad player. £30 million seems like a a decent fee, but I think United realise that actually West Ham do really like him as a player and and they're also in discussion with James Ward-Prowse at Southampton. Can can they go higher? They they, they think they would go higher, really. And I think Ten Hag doesn't want to lose him. He actually rates the presence that he has around the place. He's got a unique profile in terms of his athleticism and his stature. So yeah, I'm told that United value him at more than £40 so that seems like quite a big gap, actually. I think there was a point where it felt like this this could happen, but that gap suggests to me that, yeah, it might be too much to bridge. As for Maguire, how are United viewing those negotiations? Yeah, that's a different one because I think Maguire is on good wages. He obviously was the captain. He got that taken off him. And I think you can sort of read into the fact that Ten Hag has given the armband to McTominay and also Tom Heaton in different friendlies where Maguire's been playing. It's always been about Maguire's preference. You know, he, he didn't want to leave United when the season was over. He was still United captain at that point. I think he feels like United is such a huge club, such a big opportunity for him to play you know in Champions League football but as the summer's gone on I think he realises that game time will be an issue and Gareth Southgate has said this to him uh, regarding the England team West Ham will obviously offer him a lot more game time than Manchester United so is his mind changing that that's clearly the indication by West Ham coming back in with bids. So if we play devil's advocate finally say that Maguire goes are United in a position where they would need to replace him if he departs or are their transfer sites set on recruiting for other parts of the pitch? Yeah, they definitely need to replace him because Tenag wants four sort of senior centre backs. They've got a couple of kids that could maybe do a job, but yeah, he 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 wants um, proper experience there. I mean, they've already got one in the building in Johnny Evans. Uh, he's thirty-five. He obviously got relegated with Leicester last season, but he's a free transfer and he came through United's academy, so he's been training with them. He's played a few friendlies now with them. The other alternative is, is obviously a new signing, Jean Claire Tadebo, has been linked uh, in the East defender. I do feel like it depends on how much they get for Maguire in terms of how much they can spend because really they've they've gone out and bought big with three players. They have got financial fair play concerns to balance up. There's obviously other players that could go out that they could maybe get a bit of money for, but I think if Maguire goes, they probably wouldn't have loads to spend. So, you know, that's why Evans would perhaps make more sense at the moment. You can hear much more from Laurie on the goings-on at Old Trafford and Carrington in Talk of the Devils, our dedicated Manchester United podcast. Give it a look. I'm afraid to report there is no Women's World Cup action today as the remaining teams prepare for the quarterfinals. They kick off on Friday. However, if you're in the US, you can catch the pre-season friendly fun of Salzburg versus Inter Milan 
at 1 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN+. Glasgow Rangers host Swiss side Servette in the first leg of their UEFA Champions League qualifier. That's available on BBC Sport and kicks off at 7.45pm UK time and 2.45pm Eastern. And the joys of the Carabao Cup see Leicester City continue their adjustment to life outside the Premier League with a first round trip to third tier side Burton Albion at their 7,000 capacity Pirelli Stadium. That one kicks off at 8pm in the UK on Sky Sports and 3pm Eastern Time on ESPN+. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. I've been Michael Bailey. Your producer was Mike Zimmerman and executive producer was Ian McIntosh. If this is your first time listening, then thank you. Make sure you subscribe. Feel free to drop us a review and let us know your views. If you're already a fan, then thank you to you too. And please spread the word. Adam Leventhal will be with you tomorrow morning. In the meantime, have a great day. The Athletic.